Hello and welcome to another episode of Healing Through Pain, a podcast dedicated to the mission of walking people towards healing and health. In each new episode, we will discuss how to show up well for the responsibilities and opportunities that life sends our way. Here is your host, Stephanie West, a licensed practicing counselor in the state of Michigan, a teacher, and a professor who lives her life at the intersection of mental health and education. Thanks so much for following along. Welcome back to a new episode. I think I said this last week. I probably said it weeks prior. I am so, so jazzed about this episode. Now, week by week, I, I try to convince you guys that it's the most exciting thing, but that's because for me, it literally is the most exciting thing when I find a topic and formulate a topic that not only feels important, but also impactful. And I know I have many clients who listen to these podcasts and first and foremost, thank you for inviting me into your life in addition to, you know, our weekly intersections. But so many of them, you know, will come back in at the next week's session and say like, whoa, Steph, that one hit and that one hit deep and I need to process a minute. So it's really cool cool those who not only take the time to listen, but then we get to do kind of a dive in retrospectively and say, okay, what did that mean to you? Let's talk about it. If you have that sort of recognition of an episode that it is valuable and you want to have a discussion, you know, obviously if you're not my client, that doesn't work really well. You're always welcome to email me, but you also can send it on to someone else and say, hey, I heard this. It felt thought provoking. What do you think about it? Let's have a conversation. Sharing content is a way of saying to someone, I love you. I care about you. This this is interesting. Let's grow together. And if it's my content, obviously I'm even more jazzed about that. Now, related to content, a quick plug. If you're not on the YouTube channel, you can follow along at West in progress. It's all one word. Every week there are several videos that go up and I just posted all of my November content and guys, it really is fire. It's so exciting. The creative burst that's going on right now. And I want to invite you to join me in that. Now, I'm going to shift gears abruptly, and it's going to get a little intense here for a minute because I saw something again over the weekend that I do believe we have to have a huge conversation around and a cultural shift around, and I am not being dramatic. Okay, I'm being a little dramatic, but it's intentional because we have to have this conversation. Stop asking your kids to hug strangers. Just stop. It is so inappropriate, and I watched it again this weekend, and I spoke up and said, hey, your child does not need to hug me. Please stop asking that of them. Because I went to a get-together. It's this kiddo's birthday, and obviously he's so excited, but the kid doesn't know me. I'm there as a friend of a friend. And when I bring the present, the uh, one of the hosts says, okay, go, go give Steph a hug. And this kid has this look of fear on his face, and they're like, go give her a hug, go give her a hug. And I'm like, this kid has no business hugging me. He doesn't know me. And then I hear it's like, oh, you're so rude. You're so ungrateful. Da, 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 da. Stop having that conversation with kids. They do not need to hug strangers. That is absolute malarkey. And frankly, it sets them up for some really, really potentially awful things happening in their future when they learn that if they don't go give their body freely to someone, that they're being rude or they're being disrespectful. Stop. Please stop. That got a little rowdy. But honestly, my heart breaks because when we teach compliance as a main objective for kids, when we teach respect looks like doing what an adult tells you to, you are setting your child up for some really hard and scary stuff potentially. So you got to stop. You can give them alternatives. Hey, you can fist bump this person. Hey, make sure you say thank you. Do not force your child into a physical embrace with someone, especially if they don't know them. And on the flip side, I walk through many parents with this. If you say, well, it's rude to so-and-so, it's rude to this person. No, 
It's not. You literally say to that person, if my child wants to hug you, they'll hug you. If they don't want to hug you, that's okay too. And the person's like, well, what are you saying about me? Nope. It's not about you. It's about my child being okay, and my child does not have to hug you. Now, you can use a less snotty tone than what I'm using right now, but stop telling your kids to hug people if they don't know them. All right. It actually ties into today's episode quite well because we're going to talk about motives. And this has been something that over the last little while, it's been percolating a lot. I had read it and I think it was some of John Townsend's work. It might have been Henry Cloud, but then I've also walked through with many clients about what are our motives. And it is such a powerful thing to understand that what's driving us has to be considered and it has to be adjusted if we're not doing things well. And so I want to start with a client narrative, uh, probably about six Six months back, I had a female client who was sitting with me and she was experiencing a lot of distress that her child didn't come see her on their spring break. So the child had options. Uh, they, they don't live in the same state. It's, it's an adult child. And instead of coming home uh, to here in Michigan, the child decided they wanted to go to a different state and have fun with friends. And mom was livid. And mom's like, it's disrespectful. It's inappropriate. You know, it, it's rude. I'm so hurt. And I said to, I said to mom, I said, your child did not hurt you. You might feel hurt, but your child did not hurt you. And then I put this question to her. I said, I want you to think very critically about why your child shows up. There are several motives that will propel someone into action. And some of them, we don't want to be the reason that people are in action around us, or at least I hope it's not what we would want to be true. So I said to her, I said, what if your child was showing up here out of guilt? Is that a good dynamic? What if your child comes home only out of duty? Is that what you want to be true? What if your child comes home out of fear? Is that what you want to be true? Or might we be thankful that your child said, no, thank you. And so next time when they say yes, we know that they're not doing it out of guilt. They're not doing it out of fear. They're not doing it out of duty. They're here because they love you and because that's the choice they made. I want people to show up in my life because they love me, not out of guilt, not out of duty, not out of fear. So let's parcel through those a little bit. So guilt, I have to do this behavior or there's going to be some sort of consequence possibly. I have to punish myself into submission. I have to do whatever this behavior is to make up for lost time. So think of where guilt might show up. So guilt related to the foods you eat, guilt related to how you move your body, guilt related to what you do with your finances, guilt related to how you navigate your relationships. It is not a good recipe for sustainable health, my friends, and I might even argue it's a really good recipe for sustained unhealth. Guilt should not be a driving motivator. Now, if you're going out there and you're doing harm to people and you feel guilty, good. Stop harming people. That's not a great philosophy. That's not a great way to navigate the world. So please stop. But guilt should not be a motivator for change. Guilt should not be a motivator for propelling us into action. Then let's talk about duty. I have to do this because it's what others want for me. Okay, what happens when that motivation's gone? This is one of the things that really baffles me is when we have adult children that follow along with whatever the set rules for the home were. So there's a, there's a matriarchal or a patriarchal structure and everyone falls in line. What happens when the matriarch or the patriarch dies? What happens when you're no longer constrained by duty? Do you know who you are? Do you know why you're living the life that you're living? So many people have ginormous breakdowns, and maybe we could even call them breakthroughs, when the duty piece is out of their story. And so I fear for and lament people who let decade after decade after decade go by, and they don't take the time to figure out who they are because they're living a life of duty. Now, duty in and of itself isn't necessarily an issue, but not figuring out who you are, not stepping into your potential, not taking care of your responsibilities because of someone else's superimposed sanctions on your life. 
that can be an issue. I'm not going to make blanket statements and say that's always an issue because duty can propel us into some behaviors that are helpful, that are altruistic, that are for others good, but duty should not be the prime motivator for us. Then let's talk about fear. If I don't do this something, whatever the action is, something will go wrong. Something will be withheld from me. I will experience pain if I don't do A, B, and C. That's a lot of the clinical work we do is trying to dismantle fear. If I don't go through these certain customs, these certain rituals, these certain objectives, then something will be withheld from me. Other people's approval, I will get punished, something to that effect. So when a client comes to me and laments that their child didn't show up, I I sit with them in that and I lament with them and I say, I am so sorry that's happening. But I'm also thankful that you don't have a child that is moving out of guilt or duty or fear. I want to know that you have a child who is navigating their world out of love and showing up in the spaces that they choose to show up in because they want to be there. If we look at life foundations, love is the sacrificial act of service. Love puts others in the forefront for us or what is good to others at the forefront for us, what is good on behalf of others at the forefront for us. I want to live a life that is monopolized by love. I want to live a life that invites me into spaces and when I show up there, I am elated because of the opportunities in front of me and because I am choosing what is best with the gifts I have, with the opportunities I have, in the communities I've invited into. Think of the legalism of the Old Testament. Think of the law written out with all of these declaratives and think of how it's summarized in the New Testament. Love for God, love for your neighbor, love for yourself. What a beautiful simplification of what life should include. Love for God, love for your neighbor, love for yourself, and you use that to motivate action. You use that to motivate change. Not guilt, again, unless you're out there wreaking havoc, get your act together. Not duty, because I want good things, so I'm gonna follow the rules. Not fear, I don't wanna be punished. But love, I wanna show up in my life because it is an opportunity to walk in my path. It is an opportunity to be invited into my spaces. I love uh, in Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life, the first book, chapter two, treat yourself like someone you are responsible for helping. You are someone you are responsible for helping, and you are responsible for demonstrating love to your neighbor. Again, the, the law simplified that way. And in doing that, that is how you demonstrate love to God. And I guess I get aghast at our collective. Okay, so collective is an overstatement, and, and I don't want to you know, be imprecise with my language. But the fact that we kind of abdicate our responsibility to show up in a loving posture, it's not something that's all that comfortable for me. Now, I will say, I can't explain in my life when the shifts happened, but I do remember a mentor saying to me, you know, about a year, year and a half ago, he was talking about someone at his church, and he said, you know why that person is in this certain position? And, and I said, no. He said, they really like getting seen. They appreciate getting kind of the accolades and the kudos of that position. And he said, Steph, do you know why you show up with your students? And I was like, I mean, I think I know why I show up. He says, because you actually love them. And I didn't have language for it prior to that, but it just captured things so well. I do love the pieces of my life that I'm invited into. And I guess it doesn't occur to me that not everyone has that. But when I see story after story after story of people in survival mode, people just kind of going through the motions of life, people showing up out of fear or out of duty or out of guilt, it just, it sits so hard in my chest here when I think about it because I can't imagine not stepping into spaces that I'm not absolutely enamored with. 
Now I've had tough stuff happen to be sure, but every season of my life has been riddled with love for other people for sure, for myself, but probably at times in somewhat of a, a distorted way. And I'm, I'm thankful a lot of therapy has helped me with that. And just sitting in the love of God and love for God. And again, as refinement and maturity happens, that takes different forms. But I can't imagine a life without that at the foundation. It sounds really, really scary. It sounds really, really hard. And so if you're someone that as you're listening to this, you're you're observing in your life motives of guilt and motives of fear and motives of duty, come talk to someone, man, and we can uncover what it looks like to walk a life with love at the center of it. That's what maturity is. Not that I love all parts of every day, but every day is a gift. And if my motives right now are compromised, I need to reorient myself into what are my motives. Life is a gift, but you got to do something with it. You've got to cultivate. You've got to refine. You've got to bend in new directions. You've got to challenge yourself. You've got to ask yourself about your motives. And what you do is you start in the space that you're in now, you take inventory of what you have, recognizing that what is afforded to you is so, so incredibly generous. The opportunities you have every day, the opportunities I have every day, the resources that I have access to, the resources that you have access to, the ability to contribute to the world around us, so little is off limits to us. And some of our motives are still moving through this world out of guilt and out of duty and out of fear. I want to shift it. I want to invite you to consider what does it look like to start contributing out of love, to find places to share your gifts and your talents, to figure out ways that connect you, ways that bring you fulfillment, not in a selfish way, but in a posture that loves yourself and loves your neighbor, and in doing so demonstrates the love of God. We have a responsibility, my friends, and if your motives are off, if you don't know where to get started, come talk to someone, because we can look at the systemic things that are going on, and we can reorient things, because there is nothing parallel to living a life of love. Doesn't mean the hard stuff doesn't happen. It doesn't mean you're not going to have pain. It doesn't mean you're not going to question and and thrash about at times, but it certainly means a more secure foundation. And I'd love to invite you into thinking about that. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen. Please share this content with friends and family. Feel free to connect with Stephanie at healingthroughpain21 at gmail.com. Until next time, be well.